Hello and good morning. Looks like uh, this week our middle section must be traveling. We are missing several from the middle section. Next week it'll be the left section and then the right. Um, but uh, we do pray for those who are uh, traveling this Christmas season. I know several have mentioned that to me. Uh, we have begun the Christmas season here, and uh, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 2 and uh, talk about an event that actually happened after the birth of Jesus, uh, but lays a, a good foundation for our understanding of, of who Jesus is uh, as the Magi come to visit. Uh, let's begin in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into today's topic. Father, I'm uh, just very grateful uh, to gather around this table, uh, gather together with my friends and family to celebrate, to honor, to worship you. Not only, Lord, as God incarnate, but also as a risen king. And as we uh, study your word this morning, I pray that it will transform our lives, that your Holy Spirit will conform us to the image of your Son, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have ever driven through Pigeon Forge, you have seen that odd-shaped building upside down called Wonderworks. Do you know why that building is upside down? Legend has it that Wonderworks started as a top secret research laboratory on a remote island in the Bermuda Triangle. While trying to create a man-made tornado, the experiment went out of control, and a swirling vortex picked Wonderworks up and launched it to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, upside down. How many of y'all believe that? Who said they believe it? Oh, we got a couple back there. Unfortunately, I was living in Knoxville when they built Wonderworks, and I watched it. <laughs> I'm an eyewitness account that Wonderworks was built upside down. It did not fall from a tornado. I watched it being built. The story of the birth of Jesus could be just as crazy, right? Just as crazy as the idea of a man-made tornado picking up a building and launching it to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, is that the creator of the universe stepped down from his throne, made himself nothing, and became God incarnate. The difference is, there are different eyewitnesses' accounts of this truth. And the Gospel of Matthew 
written 50 years after the death of Jesus Christ, is an eyewitness account of God incarnate. Some who were reading Matthew's letter for the first time would have remembered seeing Jesus, would have remembered meeting Jesus. Some reading Matthew's gospel for the first time remember the stories of family members who sat at Jesus' feet, who were there when he broke bread for the 5,000, who might have even been healed themselves. They could verify or deny the account Matthew wrote down. Matthew claims that Jesus was born of a virgin, was crucified on a cross, and was resurrected on the third day. Matthew's gospel claims that Jesus was God incarnate and that Jesus is king. And this morning we're going to allow the eyewitness accounts and Matthew chapter 2 put together the case that Jesus is, in fact, king. As we read those first two verses, we see that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star, and when it rose, we've come to worship him. The Magi were eyewitness accounts of the birth of Jesus the King. They are the testimony of the reign of Jesus of Nazareth. These astrologers followed a star. They went great lakes to meet this young king, traveled far, traveled wide, brought expensive gifts to honor Jesus as king. Gold and frankincense, myrrh were traded in the Arabian region. Therefore, the the Magi could have been Arabian nobility. Their interest in the star could have linked these Magi with the Babylonians who were known as astrologers. Some believe they were Persians who were stargazers. And in 600 AD, when the Persians raided the Roman-occupied Israel, their torch their fires never touched those places of worship. Regardless of who they were, they were prophesied to come, according to Isaiah chapter 60. In Isaiah chapter 60, Isaiah says, Darkness will have fallen over all the earth. A light will rise and nations will will be drawn to that light. 
the Magi were from another nation. In fact, Isaiah 60 says, speaks of camels and gifts of gold and incense to this light. Psalm 72.11 says, May all the kings bow down to him and all the nations serve him. And in Numbers chapter 24.17 says that a star will come out of Jacob. Now in Numbers, we know that that star that comes out of Jacob is King David. But the fulfillment of that prophecy was not King David alone. The fulfillment of that prophecy ends in the story of Jesus Christ, a star who was born, a new-born king. And therefore, the Magi are a piece of this puzzle that speak to the testimony of Jesus as king. But as we read on, Herod becomes a testimony as well. He says, uh, Matthew says that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where was this Christ to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem, in Judea, for the prophet has written. Now, King Herod ends up being a testimony that Jesus is king. The Herod mentioned here is Herod the Great. Now, there were numerous Herods who governed Judea during this time period. This Herod, I believe, was the worst. His dad was first installed as governor by Julius Caesar himself. And Herod's legacy was on the good side, the expansion of the temple in Jerusalem, maybe a few other major construction projects. But on the bad side, he proclaimed himself as king of the Jews. And he was super paranoid about his reign. History books tell us that Herod killed hundreds of innocent people, including his own sons, two of his brothers-in-law, one of his mothers-in-law, and his favorite wife, Maryam. He had ten wives, by the way. We see that later in Matthew chapter 2, Herod feels threatened by the visit of the Magi, and he slaughters all of the babies in the Bethlehem vicinity. This paranoid man saw Jesus as a threat to his throne and became an eyewitness account that Jesus is king. Matthew quotes uh, Jeremiah 31. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, 
because they are no more. And Jeremiah was, in a very poetic way, representing the dramatic and miserable condition of the kingdom of Ephraim that was devastated by the sword of the Assyrians in the 700s B.C. But we also know this is a prophecy foretold by Jeremiah of the slaughter of innocent children in and around Bethlehem. It's the final fulfillment of that prophecy. I think that Herod's paranoia proves that he feared Jesus as a legitimate threat to his reign. Now, we would later know that Jesus' reign was not earthly, but heavenly. But regardless, Herod becomes an eyewitness account that Jesus is king. Now, let's talk about the last eyewitness account in Matthew chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the Magi returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. The last eyewitness count here is the protection that was given to Jesus. God warns the Magi to go a different direction through the dream. God warns Joseph to take Jesus to Egypt away from Herod's terror. God protects Jesus as an infant and a child because... Jesus is king. Matthew once again points to prophecy in verse 15, quoting Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 that says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, of course, this is a prophecy that speaks to the exodus out of Egypt and how much God loves the people of Israel. But it ends up being a prophecy also about Jesus coming up out of Egypt to escape Herod the Great. And that's what we do for kings, right? Herod himself had 2,000 bodyguards. 2,000 men serving as bodyguards. That's incredible because of all the people who, all the secret service agents who are boots on the ground, there are only 3,200 for all the presidents, for all of the of the people who are in charge that they're protecting. And there's a list of them, right? Now, there's a whole lot more that work for the Secret Service. But they have to protect against air attacks, biological warfare attacks, security attacks, 
They, they have a budget over $2 billion. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of time protecting our national leaders. And the creator of the world stepped in, intervened to keep Jesus safe, which tells us that he's more of a king than Herod the Great. He's more of a king than Joe Biden. Jesus is, in fact, king of the world. Well, that's my case that I wanted to lay out for you this morning. Some arguments from Matthew chapter 2 that Jesus is king. Now, we can tuck that away in our purses or in our pockets, and we can look at it and say, oh, yeah, that's a reminder that Jesus is king. But I don't think that's enough. Because Jesus being king affects us. Our lives should look different because Jesus is king. It means that we no longer submit to the kingdoms of this world, that are societies full of greed and idolatry, hate, that is so prevalent in American society. No, we, we live and submit ourselves to a culture that you can find in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. You, said, you see, because Jesus is king, we now submit to the rules of the kingdom of heaven. Rules that have to do with loving God and loving one another. There are 500 students at Lonsdale Elementary School. Lonsdale is one of the poorest communities in our city. We've been partnering with the school for years now by gathering toys for the students during Christmas time. Now, we used to sign up for about 40 students to, to kind of bless them with toys for Christmas time. But a couple years ago, we got a very large donation towards this project, and so we took on 100 students. The following year, I went ahead and signed up for another 100 students, but we didn't get that donation. And so I'd ask the missions team to chip in so that we could have 100 gifts for the students of Lonsdale. This year, I did it again, but I signed up for 110 this time, and I was a little nervous. But every single gift was claimed in under two weeks by this community. It was about two years ago that our board decided that we were going to set new metrics for growth here at Cornerstone Christian Church. Growth is more than the three B's, right? Building, budgets, and butts in the seats. This metric that this small community signed up for so many gifts for the students in Lonsdale is a metric of growth. It means 
that this community is starting to surround themselves with the understanding that Jesus is king. And submitting ourselves to love of not only God, but of his people. That's just one example of how communities change when they truly believe that Jesus is king. Our lives individually look different as well. Our priorities change. The way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, the places we go, and how we interact with other people. If you believe that Jesus is king, you will be transformed. Because that's what Jesus does. He transforms you. He changes you. As we go into a time of communion, we're reminded that his sacrifice was not not for loss. His sacrifice was for gain, for the transformation of his people. We have three communion stations set up in these three corners, and while we sing the next song, I invite you to go and take the cups. The bottom cup is the, the bread, and the top cup is the juice. Take those cups and reflect Reflect on how Jesus is transforming your life. Is it directly related to your confession that he is king? That's my question this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we all reflect and are convinced you are king. I ask, Father, that we can submit ourselves to your will. As the psalmist says, I pray that you search our hearts, find any wicked way, any way that we're not submitting to your will. Reveal those, Lord. Change those, Lord. Help us to submit to your will. We gather around the table together to celebrate the death of your only son on the cross. And I pray, Father, that you will speak to us during this time. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.